Welcome and thank you for joining us on this Friday, December 23rd. So, what are you going to be doing this weekend, Dan Torres? Oh, Buzz. You have plans? Uh, fam- You're going to go see a family, game? Family, friends, a uh, movie, a movie. That is actually one of my goals. Go back to Amherst Cinema. I, I watched uh, most of Tar. Oh, I saw. love that movie. I, you loved it? Yeah. I loved the I, performance. Did you like it? Oh, it was... Okay, so I saw about three-fourths of the movie, and I, I, I left within half an hour because I had to. I had to go somewhere. Oh. Otherwise, I would have stayed and watched it. I didn't leave because oh. I didn't like it. But I, you I want me to tell you what happens? Uh, no, I kind of want to watch Ooh. it now. But it was okay. good enough for me to be like, I got to finish this. It's so. a surprise ending. It is, okay. It is, yeah. yeah. All right. Well. This is Kate Blanchett. It's an unbelievable. She's in every frame of the movie. She she plays a, a, a um, conductor, an orchestral conductor. And um, where you don't usually see a woman... She is an unbelievably talented and, as you learn, flawed woman. Right? Yeah. Very much so, yeah. Anyway. So I am really excited. It's uh, approaching the end of the year. It's a time to be reflective. And uh, in the studio with me is somebody who is reflective for a living, for her spiritual growth. She's always reflective in my experience. It's the Reverend Dr. Andrea Vajian, who is a veteran of every piece and social justice uh, thing in this region and well beyond. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy to be here with you both. I'm very honored and delighted to be here. Thank you. Uh, it is my pleasure to have to be in the studio with you, and especially to talk about, I mean, this is a time of year where um, there's hardly a corner of the planet that isn't going to be thinking one way or another about peace and, and fairness and kindness and um, paying lip service to that which um, you have made a living trying to promote and and uh, make exist. So I guess when I was thinking, who would I ask, what's the sort of state of the union for peace and social justice uh, these days, particularly in this region, I thought of you. So thank you for being here. I'm delighted. So what is the state of the union for uh, for peace and social justice? Well, from my perspective, I think there's good news and I think there are some challenges. I think that the good news is that in the Valley and across the country, in places like Northampton and very unlike Northampton, people are still faithful and steady and involved and making good trouble. And I think there's good news that people are engaged and out there. And so the state of peace and justice work is healthy and alive in the country. I think that the challenges are that there really isn't a peace and justice movement. I think there are now so many movements that people are pulled in so many directions and somewhat fragmented. So when we think about what good progressive work and movements are out there happening, we have reproductive justice, we have climate change, LGBTQ, civil rights and civil liberties, we have the work against anti-Semitism and racism. We're fighting racism. We have the war in Ukraine. We're working on gun violence. We're working on the growing threat of nuclear war. That's a lot of movements. I'm exhausted thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly where I'm going to go, Buzz, because I think people are torn in many directions and are tired. I'm going to reflect back because you just introduced me, Buzz, saying that I've been involved for so many years. I'm 71 now, and I was radicalized during the Vietnam War at Oberlin College 
starting in the late 60s. Well, by the way, my grandson's going. He just started Oberlin in September. You know, it's a great place. I know, it's he a loves great, it. He loves it. I and my to, son went. I'm so glad. Air, yeah. I went. My son went. It's just a little hotbed of wonderful values. Well, he told me last week he finds it so nurturant. That's, yes, that's yes. That's the 18-year-old male's word. Lovely. Yeah. And you know, Oberlin is the first college in America to accept uh, women and African Americans and opened, integrated. And so I was young and 17 and arrived on the Oberlin campus. And for me, college was about one movement. We worked to protest the Vietnam War. That is what we did. And then as the war wore down in the early 70s and ended in 72, 73, I got very involved in the women's movement. But back then, many of us were kind of serial activists. We did one thing, and then we did another thing, and then we moved on. And you did, too. You're raising your hand. So we did the protest the Vietnam War. I was very involved in women's struggles and went on to climate change. But there is no serial activism anymore. People are pulled into making the connections between forms of oppression and fighting climate change. And there are so many pulls on all of us now that when I just rattled off a list of some of what people are involved in, your immediate reaction was... I'm exhausted. We are exhausted and people are tired. From my work in movements... And from my work as a pastor and in my involvement in the Valley, people are really tired. And people are talking very openly about wanting to avoid burnout or recovering from burnout or worried about burnout. And I am really worried about the level of fatigue and emotional and spiritual exhaustion that I hear from activists, young and middle-aged and old. And I want to say something about organizing now and how I think organizing now more and more online is leading to some of our exhaustion. Can I make the bridge there? Would you please? A lot of the the organizing that you and I did and the activism that we did in our younger years was very much person to person. And I believe, as Cesar Chavez used to always say, it's relational. Organizing is, is relational. And when people ask Cesar Chavez, how did you m- make this movement and, and touch and change so many lives? He said, well, my theory of organizing is first you talk to one person, then you talk to another person, and then you talk to another person. And it was relationship building. What's happened as we have more and more issues to address, more and more movements that are calling for our attention We also, in the last several years, have moved our organizing online to Zoom. And I think the reason some of it is leading to fatigue is, first I'll say, organizing on Zoom has many pluses. You can reach so many more people, and you can sit in a meeting in Northampton, Massachusetts, and have a completely diverse screen because people are joining on from Atlanta and Chicago and Pasadena and Cleveland. And so we can have these diverse meetings and be sitting in Western Mass in the Connecticut River Valley. And we can touch so many people and hear about work happening not only across the country but around the world. So the reach is so expanded But it's also so limiting in that when we organize person to person in the same room, if Buzz got choked up, I could go over and stand behind you, put a hand on your shoulder. 
if Mary over there was crying, we could go over and be with her. We could take out our phones or pre-phones, check in with each other and say, sure, I'll come to your event in Springfield and please come when I'm organizing something in Holyoke. I'll be there for you. You'll be there for me. There was a lot of relationship building face-to-face. Now we have Zoom meetings Zoom plans, Zoom seminars. So if I'm crying because I just just touched so much, it might be the host mutes me. Absolutely. (laughs) You know what? That actually happens. Or people feel so separated from others on the screen that they stop their camera and they pick up their cat or they go make tea and we've lost them for a while or they got muted or they muted themselves. So Zoom is preventing us from seeing one another the way I'm seeing you two right now. I read your body language. You're both nodding. We're connecting. And Zoom has both helped our movements because it's made meetings and gatherings pretty diverse and pretty exciting, and they can be snap, crackle, pop. Mm -hmm. They can be good. But they're also distancing. We're sitting often, usually alone, in our own home, not connecting physically, and I think people are not forming the bonds that we used to form when we were together face-to-face. You know, there's a very, uh, for me, beloved expression that progress is made at the speed of trust. I love that expression. Progress is made at the speed of trust, and I'm going to move forward in my work fighting racism, one of the central things in my life. At the speed of trust. At the speed of trust. When I know, Buzz, you're there for me, and you're going to show up when I have an event, or you're going to comfort me when I am troubled by what's happening, or progress moves forward at the speed of trust, and trust is built less so on Zoom and more so face-to-face arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and hand in hand. Well, I want to ask you, Not, I'm aware that as a pastor, a lot of these issues are routinely addressed by you with your congregants, but I want to ask you about something else, the social change leadership program which you have created at Sojourner Truth School. Can you tell us about that? You know, thank you for asking about the school. In the wake of Trump uh, taking office, I went into a very despairing place. I went to an, into a very despair, despairing place. And as you know, and as you've said several times, I am a person of faith. And I took a long three-day train trip from Springfield to Austin, Texas, to see my son. And I was in prayer a lot. You just sit in a train, and I had a little teeny sleeper. And to be very transparent here, I'm a person of faith, I started asking God, use me, use me. Things are going to be really bad for four years. People I love are going to be hurt. People are going to, things are going to be very bad. The values that we, so many of us have worked on for so long are going to be eroded or or removed, destroyed. Things are going to be really bad. All of which is true. All of which happened. I'm old. I'm a movement elder. Use me. And I went down and saw my son and had an experience. And on the way back, I kept praying for this way to be used. And I actually got what I call the divine download. And I got the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership kind of all in one powerful moment. I got that we needed a movement building school that would be down the stripe of the Connecticut River in Greenfield, Northampton, East Hampton, Holyoke, and Springfield, that the classes would be taught by 
experts in their field on movement building, all forms of movement building, and the classes would be free, and I would raise money to pay our trainers. And I got the whole thing. Actually, I didn't get the title. Bill Newman helped me. When I came back, I talked to some key people in my life, and I called Bill Newman and said, I have this idea. He said, A, it's great. B, I'm in. C, you're going to need funding. Let me help. And D, let's name it. Um, and what we have done since 2017, we're going to, going to be um, six years old in a couple of weeks, wow. is that we have offered every semester, fall and spring, about 45 or 50 classes. You're holding our, our most recent catalog. All the classes are free, and they are taught by people who can teach on everything, every part of organizing, public speaking, um, everything you can imagine in organizing. And people used to come in person in places that were free on the bus line and welcomed us warmly with our politics. Now we teach on Zoom, which is a plus and a minus. For the reasons you stated earlier. Exactly. And since we migrated to Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic, we now have had people in our classes from 33 states and 16 countries. And if people want to find out more about it, how do they learn about they, it? We are online, and the registration for class is www.truthschool.org, and you can register for free classes with us. Truthschool.org. For those of you not driving right now, write it down and give it a whirl. It's a sojourner truth school. We are talking to the Reverend Dr. Andrea Avashian, and she is uh, the director, is that what you are? Founder um, and director. Founder and director of the Sojourner in Truth School. We're going to come back and talk with Andrea more about peace, about justice, about the things that we should be caring about at this time of year. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5. Regular segments on The Bill Newman Show include Mayor's Monday, interviews with state representatives and senators, Crime and Punishment, Political Gold with Josh Silver, The Reverend and the Rabbi, Cool Films with Larry Hott, Sex Matters, NPR, Northampton Poetry Radio, Black in the Valley, Your State You, Salman Hamid's Universe, Viacon Munoz, Talking Baseball with the Duke, Your Monthly Comedy Quiz, Artbeat, and others. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, News, Information, and the Arts. I'm Tony Warden, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. This is Mary Rawls of the Co-op Bank, wishing all our customers, my family and friends, a very happy and joyful holiday season. This is Chelsea. And this is Maggie. From the Commercial Loan Department. We want to wish our family, friends, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. 
I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hi, this is Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Erica from the Florence Branch of Northampton Cooperative Bank. We We would would like like to extend our best wishes to our customers, families, and friends for a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Cheers. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with the Reverend Dr. Andrea Avasian, somebody who is uh, well um, schooled to uh, discuss, I, I say peace, it's, it's really an aspiration that we have, uh, peace, Andrea, and um what, let's keep on keeping on about what you were talking about before. How do activists, when they're being literally bludgeoned by the 6 o'clock news and um, bludgeoned by the Supreme Court, which is supposed to be the source of increasing rights rather than decreasing rights, or um, the, uh, a Congress which is about to change hands, uh, about to become even more dysfunctional than it has been, how do people keep up the spirit that you need to be an effective activist? You know, three things jump to mind. Um, one is, and I, I hope this doesn't sound um, a little negative, but I want to talk a moment about hope. Um, recently, I ran into somebody, and they said to me, Andrea, you do a lot in peace and justice work and in anti-oppression work and anti-racism work. Um, how do you hold on to hope? And I said to them, how, how do you know I hold on to hope? I have periods of not holding on to hope. I think hope is a choice. I think hope is a discipline. I think people choose it and sort of harness themselves to a feeling that our work makes a difference, and it does. But I don't think being hopeful is always a given. I think that being hopeful is always a choice. It's, it's ironic that I don't think you're aware of what I've written about. But I, I know that you know that for 12 years I represented Guantanamo Absolutely, detainees. Absolutely, I know that. And I represented eight of them. And when um, after seven or eight years of reflection on my role, I realized it wasn't my legal acumen. It wasn't um, my advocacy that was uh, my job was to bring them hope. Mm-hmm. I wrote mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. I wrote about it in the Northeastern Law Review that as, as an attorney, we don't think of that as our, mm-hmm. our role, but I came to understand what happened. Some of them, you know, they're held in isolation. Mm. They can't speak their own language. They, you know, just a horrific, unthinkable torture and conditions um, that they were held in. And, uh, you know, some of them, their mother died while they were there and did, didn't know about it. It was only I that brought them the news kind of thing. And I watched them as hope dwindled that they would ever again get out of there. And my, I realized 
that was my job. Yes. To yes. To, to create a platform from yes. which they can rejuvenate their hope. And you know what you did, Buzz, is you stayed the course with them. You showed up. You kept showing up. That you made the choice of bringing hope. You made the choice of choosing to invest in them, to be there with them, to is that walk the, the message to activists? Them. And yeah. I think the message to activists is we choose to go on. We choose to be hopeful. Not that it is a given, but it, it's a choice. And I think that the ways that we can hold on to hope and have a positive attitude are, are two things. One we talk about a lot and we know a lot about, which is self-care. People now know that we have to connect with each other, sleep, eat, exercise, be in social settings. We know a lot about self-care and we know it matters that if we burn out, if we leave movement work, that it is a net loss for everyone. But the other thing that I'm coming to understand much more about, and I'm hearing and reading much more about, is not just self-care, but community care. How are we taking care of each other? How am I showing up for you? How are we gathering in times when we don't work? How are we finding some times to celebrate and be joyful? Not always <clears throat> to be at work or organizing or serious. How are we as a community supporting one another whether more renting gyms and having enormous, fantastic, huge group potlucks, dancing and singing with the intention of being together to allow ourselves to not work and to connect deeply heart to heart. So community care says, I want to hear you. I want to be with you. I want to reflect back to you that I'm seeing that you look a little tired. I want you to, I want you to rest. I'm going to walk you home. I'm, I, so I think that self-care and community care are two of the ways that activists can hold on to hope and keep going in the face of much bad news and many, many challenges. What a wise message to give to people because it, it's true. That's what a lot of us do. We forget to take care of ourselves. We forget that we have needs other than winning the battle of the day, right? And and um, I think with age comes some of that. You, you get you get tired, and then you have to take care of yourself, right? It's true. It's yeah, true. It is true. How is your son, by the way? My son. My son is now 34, living in East Hampton, and he's the head of a music program at a public high school in Springfield, bringing joy to students as he teaches them instruments, creates choruses, does bands. I've just been to their winter concert, and there they were up on the stage at this great school in Springfield, performing and singing, and it was joyous. That sound that you hear, listeners, that's the sound of... Uh, Andrea's smile when I asked that question, hitting against both walls of the studio. <laughs> it's as broad as it could get. And thank you for asking that. Thank well, you for asking about a source of joy and hope in my life. Thank well, you. It sounds like that, that uh, very important train ride that you had to visit him. Yes, and, and now he's here. And now he's here at the, every mother's dream. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Thank you so much for joining Thank us today. Thank you. It was my joy and honor to be here and to be with both of you. Thank you for inviting me Merry to Christmas be on your show you. and to share these thoughts. Thank uh, you. It, it, it is our honor. We are going to, speaking of social justice, it's uh, Friday, it's 4.30, and Jeff DiPolitano is going to be in here talking about exactly that right after these messages. Do stay with us.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Storm damage is ongoing throughout the Piner Valley. In Northampton, damage was reported on Hatfield Street, Fair Street, and Park Hill Road. Roughly 15,000 customers lost power due to gusty winds in Northampton. The winds are reaching 50 miles per hour, and thousands of more outages are being reported across Franklin and Hampshire County. Crews are working to restore the power. The state is continuing its support of community health centers by providing more funding for services and hiring. The state will be distributing $45 million for workforce recruitment and retention, health safety net services, and deferred care. This new round of funding is in addition to more than $117 million awarded to CHCs throughout the past year. An Amherst resident and former captain for the Massachusetts State Police has been indicted for the possession and distribution of child pornography. 62-year-old Francis Hart was arrested in August 2021 following an online investigation led by the Attorney General's Office, which recovered computers and a cell phone containing explicit photos of minors. According to investigators, Hart shared explicit images via cell phone with someone out of state. Hart had worked for the State Fire Marshal's Office and as a detective captain for the State Police prior to retiring. The East Hampton City Council will pay the $18,000 bill for the grand opening celebration at the new Mountain View School. The City Council discussed the issue for close to an hour and finally voted to use money from the city's Cannabis Stabilization Fund to foot the bill. Rain showers change over to snow showers this afternoon. Watch out for temperatures dipping below freezing between about 3 and 5 p.m. There could be some icy surfaces. Variable clouds tonight and windy. Overnight low of 4 to 10. Partly to mostly sunny windy tomorrow. A high of 18 to 22. Dry on Christmas day mid-20s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. You're out with friends and a few drinks becomes a few too many and you decide to drive anyway. What's the worst that can happen? Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. It's been a great week to hit the slopes and ski pack patter thanks to last week's big storm and all that cold snowmaking. You'll have a nice variety of trails and despite some rough weather Friday, we should have good skiing for Christmas and beyond as snowmakers and groomers will have consistent cold to whip the trails back into shape and it is going to be cold so layer up for warmth and take frequent breaks if you're feeling cold. At Wachusett, they're taking a jump up to 12 trails now skiing and riding day and night but special hours for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Stratton's got 80 runs open, 43 of which groomed out overnight. Saskadena 6 now on a few trails at Woodstock. Almost 100 trails for Killington and Bretton Woods on near two dozen. This report brought to you by Smugglers Notch, Vermont. Visit smugs.com and check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families, and we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, 
Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And it is Friday afternoon. It is 4.34. Um, we have a big weekend for so many people, and um, we're talking about justice this weekend. Jeff Napolitano, you're the perfect person to talk about justice. Yes, uh, and we have... Uh, segment that is all about uh, justice in the education world, uh, in particular the unions, the, the educators' unions in the Amherst-Pelham district, as well as the South Had Hadley School districts. Uh, they are operating without a contract, um, and each of those districts um, are trying to get some justice, some um, some decent pay in, in working conditions. Uh, we have in the studio the chair of the contract action team in South Hadley, Myra Lamb. Uh, so welcome, Myra. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, but first, before we, we talk uh, about what's going on in South Hadley, um, I interviewed yesterday the president of the Amherst Pelham Education Association, Mika McGee. Um, she's a um, in addition to the, the president, she's a middle, she's an uh, educator in the middle school in Amherst, and uh, we talked about the contract battle that they have been fighting for quite some time in Amherst. And so here is Mika McGee, uh, president of the Amherst Pelham Education Association. You're pushing for a, a new contract. Um, how long has that been going on? That's been going on for over a year now. We extended our contract for a year. And so we've been in official negotiations since January 2022. But our contract ended, of course, the year before in June. What are the issues that you're facing in Amherst? I mean, I think that most people would consider Amherst, Amherst and Pelham, it's a very liberal area. And of course, we're going to give our teachers and educators all of the resources that they need. But it's, I suspect that that isn't entirely true. Which is, which is strange, um, because we, we live in a five college area. And it seems that we value education or that we should value education, at least that's on face value. But when it comes to what we actually are doing with our, you know, financial resources, it doesn't seem that that we value education and the educators who are in our schools um, supporting the students, um, especially our, our paraeducators. They, the, the uh, local Popeyes, you know, pays $18 an hour, and yet we're struggling to get the same starting pay for our, or similar starting pay for our paras. Specifically, the things that you're pushing for, the raises that you're looking for, and, you know, how long it's been since you've gotten a, a raise that outpaces inflation, uh, which incidentally- We, haven't, we yeah. haven't gotten any, we haven't gotten a raise that outpaces uh, inflation, essentially, which means that we've been taking 
pay cuts for over a decade. And get, you know, we're still taking a pay cut. We asked for a 3.25, a four and five. We're still taking a significant pay cut, but they really haven't budged from what they initially offered. And so the idea that, you know, we won't collaborate, work with them is just simply not true. We just want to make sure that we don't continue to take pay cuts, especially in the last couple of years with inflation being what it is. It's significantly, it's a significant chop. It's a little bit insane to me that given what, uh, in particular, teachers who I think two years ago were being lauded along with, you know, other frontline workers as, oh, you're wonderful and you're saving us and you're working through horrible conditions and yada, yada, yada. And even then and now, teachers are expected to take pay cuts, which is crazy. Like we're not even talking about like, what is the what is the increase that you're going to get? Or what's the cost of a living adjustment? Well, um, and then taking a pay cut in the midst of a crisis in education yep. where thousands and thousands are leaving the field because it's just it's gotten just that um, critical. The workload has gotten unbearable in the, in the district. The teachers that we've been talking about the workload for uh, so many years, especially for special education teachers, uh, and the workload continues to increase yep. and we continue to take pay cuts. And now there's a crisis in education. I asked the school committee, what's your plan for this crisis in education where skilled and experienced teachers are leaving the field? Um, we certainly have felt that in, in, uh, in Amherst, our retention rate has gone down to, I think, about 77%. And it hasn't been in the past. We've been able to enjoy like uh, experienced, highly educated teachers in our district. And we're starting to see that that is changing. Teachers are leaving, they're retiring early or they're retiring, or they're just choosing another field. And yeah. so I asked the school committee, what's your plan for this crisis in education? They have yet to indicate that they have any plan that would, would make sure that we keep highly skilled, experienced teachers in our district, even though so many are leaving the field. COVID protections. And I'm wondering what you or uh, any of the teachers that you work with think about the level of COVID protections or the lack thereof. Uh, and if that's really affected either the attendance of students or the, the health and safety of uh, teachers and educators. We've done our best to work with the district, specifically with the superintendent. Uh, we meet last year, we met weekly. This year, we meet every other week, too. And one of the, our topics of discussion is often like the protocols to make sure that, you know, our staff and students are safe in these times. Um, I think one of the, our biggest challenges right now are that we have staff who are running out of sick days because they've either tested positive for COVID or they have a family member that's tested positive for COVID, sometimes um, asymptomatic, but, but that still means like five days out of work. And so we are losing sick days. And you know, the district did not opt into the paid family medical leave. And so essentially... Um, we have members who are running out of sick time, and we've had this conversation before when you have, especially those who are not paid well at all, and then they have to make a decision about whether to pay their rent or to stay home from work uh, where they would not be getting paid and they're asymptomatic, they're COVID positive. And yeah. I would hope that none of our staff would do that, but it does put people in a position where they have to choose between making some pay for the day or not. And if you've got, you know, rent to pay, you know, if you've got children to feed, it puts you in a situation where you may have to make a decision that is not even in your the best interest of others or yourself and having to come to work um, sick or COVID positive. 
This is Jeff Napolitano, and you're listening to a segment of The Good Work on Afternoon Buzz here on WHMP. This is an interview that I had with Mika McGee, who is the president of the Amherst Pelham Education Association, on their fight for a fair contract in the public schools there. I was wondering what you thought about the president of the MTA, Max Page, who's actually from Amherst. There was a, a Gazette article about uh, one of the things that the MTA is going to be pushing for in the next year or two is reinstating the right for public sector workers to strike. Because as most don't know, is that it's actually illegal in the state for teachers to strike. Uh, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. I think not having that as an option puts us in a weak position of, um, and I, I think that's why management behaves the way it does now, is that they're saying, you know, South Hadley might tell you that we got into negotiations and the first thing they did, it seems to be their strategy this year is to say, okay, let's go to mediation. And you kind of go to mediation. And because there's not there, they don't have to entertain the idea that we might strike in a legal sense that it's kind of like they can just push for this is it. And I think that's one of the reasons why the district is refusing to negotiate with us, because they can say, okay, 2.5, that's all we're offering. That's all you're going to get. What are you going to do about it? Okay, what are our options? You know, yeah. and one of our options is to go work to rule. And that's something that I know that South Adley is doing, and it's something that Amherst is now considering. You brought it up, so we should probably let people know, what does work to rule mean? Essentially, it means that we will do what's required within our contract. You know, teachers do so much more. We work at home in the evenings, um, in the mornings, in the afternoons, when the kids are coming in on the buses. Oftentimes, we are, we're starting our work early. Um, we're leaving work late. We're still in the building after hours. So work to rule just means that we will just essentially what's in our contract, what we're required to do is all that we will do. I mean, it's, it's actually funny that that's, uh, you know, considered even a threat that work to rule just means doing what you're paid to do. And people don't recognize that teachers do so much more outside of, you know, the confines of, you know, eight to three or whatever the hours of the school day are teachers are actually doing way, way more than they're way actually more. paid for. Yeah, way more. Yeah, exactly. Way more. Um, we're getting in going into the springtime. So many students are going to be needing recommendation letters for college. You know, the dances that we've done for students, spring dance, you know, fall dance, um, all the extracurricular activities. And yes, you know, there are some teachers that do get paid an additional contracts for extra activities. But then there are some teachers that are just volunteering their time to yeah. be able to be there to support the events. And the reality of it is, is that we wouldn't be able to host those events if there weren't teachers who were willing to volunteer their time to be at the school to eight, nine, and 10 o'clock at night to support students to make sure students have all of these opportunities to kind of socialize with one another and, and enjoy each other outside of, you know, outside of school. And then there's grading. I mean, I, like I remember both of my parents at night, sometimes in front of the TV, that were, were spend their time grading. Um, yeah, so it's just hours and hours of time, which we usually don't have time to do at school, even with our, even within our prep time. Yep. Um, and it, it's just hours and hours of time. And so if we were really to just say, okay, we're really only going to do what we can get done within our contract hours, it is going to create a situation in which gradings may be late. Um, there are so many other things that, that we would love to do for the students. And we don't want to be put in that position that there's so much things that so many things that we want to do for the students. Uh, but at the same time, uh, for some of us, that we're already worked the role anyway, because we're running out to a second job, because that's all we can do is 
work till whatever the time, you know, 345. And then we're running to get to the second job, especially for our, um, our paras and some of our, you know, our teachers that are in their earlier years. Many of our teachers who in, 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 in unit C or our paraeducators can't even afford to live in Amherst. And so they're living in, you know, other, other towns in the area where you have more affordable rents. We would like to see more of our educators be able to live in the communities in which uh, of the students that they serve. They seem like very reasonable, not terribly radical demands. And so- No, they're not uh, radical demands for teachers considering there's a crisis in education, mm -hmm. um, considering we're coming out of pan a pandemic and teachers were allotted. And uh, now it, it seems that they've forgotten that teachers were front and center doing our very best for students. And then with students coming back, there's so much going on with mental health. And teachers, while they're trying to take care of their own families and their own mental health, are still front and center and there for the students and trying to create opportunities, you know, not just in the classroom, but outside the classroom for our students to improve their mental health, all those things. And, yep. it, 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 and, and uh, in addition to that, having to struggle to get a fair contract. So you're listening to the Afternoon Buzz on WHMP. We will be back in just a minute. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Orthopedic injuries don't just happen to athletes. Muscle and ligament tears can happen from a golf game, tennis match, or even shoveling snow. I'm Dr. Connor Ziegler, sports medicine and board-certified orthopedic surgeon with New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Our surgical team here in Western Mass is ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury from shoulders to elbows, wrists, hands, hips, knees, ankles, and everything in between, including physical therapy and regenerative medicine, such as orthopedic laser treatment and PRP. Hey, Pat, who's on the sidelines this week? Wide receiver Devontae Parker is. He sat out Sunday's loss to the Raiders due to a concussion. His return for this Saturday against Cincinnati is questionable. Running back Damian Harris missed his third straight game Sunday and is questionable to return for this week. Cornerback Jalen Mills continues to rehab a groin injury and is day-to-day. -day. And offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn has a foot injury and is questionable for this week. So if you're looking for the best bona fide care around, visit neortho.com to schedule an appointment. With locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, our team will get you back in the game. If you don't like one of your Christmas presents, you might have to pay to return it. Among retailers charging for returns this year, Abercrombie & Fitch charges $7, and JCPenney is charging a flat $8 shipping fee, but has a more lenient in-store return policy. With the holidays and a winter snowstorm in the east, air travel could be a nightmare. So how early should you get to the airport? Well, it depends on the airport. Travel experts say you may need three hours at Chicago's O'Hare. You might need just an hour at John Glenn Columbus Airport. Parents with sick children this season have sometimes struggled to find pain relief medicine. 
Now both CVS and Walgreens have begun to limit purchases of the medications amid short supplies. There are shortages of many medications because of so many viral infections among children. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Jeff Napolitano, um, who is speaking to Mika McGee, the Amherst Ed President and now South Hadley teacher and the uh, chair of the Contract Committee, Myra Lamb. I just want to say that, um, you know, 17 years I taught in higher education, um, and it was so rewarding for me to do it. Both of my children, who are now 53 and 50 years old, they've each had decades as educators. I think it's the most honorable profession, and I just wanted to thank you for doing it, and it should be recognized and rewarded because it's a really hard job. I know it. You got that right. Yeah, and it's even harder now because um, the, uh, you know, with so many people, like in healthcare, there are so many people in education that, um, as, as President McGee mentioned, that are leaving or have left, in addition to so many people who took early retirement during the pandemic. Um, and on top of that, I mean, the crazy thing to me is just that nothing really changed in terms of uh, the job, uh, in terms of paying teachers um, and and compensating teachers in the in trying to c- improve the condition of teachers um, you know at, I'm at UMass I am also in the Massachusetts Teachers Association as part of the professional staff there and it's it's interesting that like nothing despite the the great you know applauding of of teachers and healthcare workers and so forth for for doing all this work in the pandemic the trend of still cutting their pay over and over again, um, it, it continues. And so what um, President McGee mentioned was the prospect of going to work to rule, um, which is a concept that I'll have Myra explain um, because she is um, doing this in South Hadley with the South Hadley teachers, Myra. That's right. So we started negotiating our contract, which had already expired in October of 2021. So this is our second consecutive school year with an expired contract. And now we're, we're entering a second year of negotiations, which is pretty, pretty hard to believe. And for folks who have never sat at a negotiations table, for folks who have never poured through a contract, it is um, mind-numbing, excruciating <laughs> work. And, and, I, and I actually feel very fortunate that I'm not on the negotiations committee. Um, but but I was, um, of course, very motivated to to step up into this role of the contract action team when it became clear that we were not going to be able to settle a contract with the district without putting on some more pressure. So in addition to wearing matching T-shirts, holding standouts, having a letter writing campaign to school committee members in South Hadley, we had to think about what were some of the more significant steps that we could take to bring awareness to the fact that teachers have been working in in really challenging conditions for so long. What we voted on in November is is about the idea of work to rule, as, as Mika mentioned. And we voted pretty overwhelmingly that if we were unable to settle a contract at our next mediation session, we would go into work to rule the following day. Work to rule, what that entails is essentially teachers in South Hadley are now working exclusively their contracted duties. And and I think anyone who's had an educator in the family um, and anyone who's a parent of a student or a caregiver of a student can easily infer that teachers put in a ton of work outside contracted hours and above and beyond what they are actually required to do. 
Um, and, and so we decided that we would halt those types of volunteer, you know, those types of volunteer activities mm-hmm. for elementary school. What that means is we, we come into the building at 8.07 in the morning and we leave at 3.05 in the afternoon. We're not staying late, grading papers. We're not, you know, we've agreed not to take work home to grade it. We're not answering emails from bed at six in the morning or mm-hmm. 10 at night as so many educators do. Mm-hmm. Um, at the higher grades, that looks like... Um, stopping um, voluntary clubs. Some teachers facilitate clubs without any sort of compensation, so those have come to a halt. Um, High school teachers often use personal time to write letters of recommendation for their students, Mm -hmm. but we have decided as a union to stop those activities until we can settle a contract. Yeah, so I mean the thing, and I talked about this with uh, Mika McGee, about how sort of crazy it is that the concept of work to rule is such a threat because it just means doing only what you're paid to do, mm-hmm. which means that lots and lots of work that is done, lots and lots of the the progress that's that's made and, and the, the things that keep schools going is unpaid labor by teachers, um, voluntary labor. I mean, I, I'm the child of uh, two public school teachers. And so like, I know, I remember my parents, you know, after dinner, sitting down and grading papers for several hours, you know, if not you know, once a, every night, you know, certainly at least once a week, if not more than that. And so the idea that it's some sort of radical thing for people to just do what they're paid for um, shouldn't be a big deal. But in that, that is the model in education. I mean, in addition to just cutting teachers' pay and, you know, putting them in the middle of the pandemic to deal with, uh, you know, 30 kids at a time in their classrooms, mm. um, we're, we're also, you know, insisting that they spend their free time and, and in some cases their own money for school supplies and stuff like that. Right, right. And I think I think a lot of what Work to Rule has exposed is that the system is set up in a way that just assumes our free labor. And I, and I think I, I may as well say that this is a gender issue. I do not mm-hmm. think that we would experience anything like this, that those assumptions would not be nearly as pervasive if teaching was a profession dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't answer that, but I can say I, I've experienced Work to Rule. And um, and we had we had different issues that it can at the college level because the contract includes college service, which is like this amorphous thing. Uh, what is college service that you're required to do and you're required to sit on committees, but it doesn't say how many hours you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But there was a constant battle about whether we were doing what the contract required or not because the contracts were amorphous. Did you, do you have that issue with your contract? Is it pretty clear? N- no, we actually, we don't have a, a school service. No, I mean reading something. the contract and saying what exactly is required. Well, no, yeah. So that actually that was that was absolutely a, an important chunk of work, right. and that's a chunk of work that the contract action team took responsibility for is paging through the contract. I mean, for about a month, I carried around copies of a by contract and pair educators contract with me every day at school, so that we could check and see if if an administrator tells an educator, you have to do this, this is your assignment, we would have to double check. So I'm wondering, Myra Lamb, whether or not you've gotten any uh, adverse feedback from parents or from anyone else that you're not paying enough attention to the children. Well, at one of our standouts, I think someone hawked their horn and gave us a thumbs down and said something like, 
boo liberals or something along those <laughs> lines. But for the most part, though, the community has been immensely supportive. We have had a lot of caregivers and parents reach out to say, how can we support you? Um, we really appreciate what you're doing. We're sorry you're working in, in these types of conditions. And and I and I think they can understand because they, they parent their kids full time. Yeah. So they yeah. understand. As a parent, <laughs> we are woefully familiar and, and understand how much of a uh, of a challenge, let's just say, it is to, to deal with not just you know, my kids, but a classroom full of kids at a time. And certainly you're an elementary school teacher. Uh, so you, you you stand in loco parentis yeah. under the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to, to, to ask about was just, um, you know, what I talked about with uh, uh, President McGee was the issue uh, that MTA, the Massachusetts Teachers Association, is put, putting forward as a priority, and that is trying to get the right to strike back. And it's interesting that we just had this whole conversation about like why the railroad workers in the United States don't have the right to strike. But, you know, I think what's gone unnoticed is that public sector workers in Massachusetts aren't allowed to strike, at least not legally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder what you think about the prospect of restoring that right. Yeah, I think that's an excellent idea. And I'm really happy that that's a part of the Massachusetts Teachers Association's legislative priorities. We, you know, I would love to see some movement in that in in the Massachusetts legislature. Um, I, I heard, I had the honor of hearing Christian Smalls, the founder, founder of the Amazon Labor Union, Mm -hmm. um, say at a conference this summer that workers have to be ready to withhold their labor. Mm -hmm. His words, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, there's, there's other labor uh, historical figures that have uh, pointed this out in, in some in some ways a more more coarse language, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that that is that's definitely the case. Certainly, when I was negotiating at at UMass, I was on the bargaining team for my my branch of the MTA there. Um, if the if the employer knows that you don't have any real option other than to leave, than to just simply quit your job, then they've they've got this this leverage over you. And um, I mean, it, the crazy thing is that in education, that's actually what we've seen is lots of people leaving. Um, and again, for- And in healthcare. Yeah, and in healthcare, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for people and, and in retail and basically across, you know, so many uh, sectors of industry now. Um, but for, for, for teachers who are really a frontline worker um, to not- they have to keep getting pay cuts. And that's what this really is, is just sort of infuriating. Well, so as we, we're running yeah. out of time, I just want to make sure that Myra gets the last word. What should people know? What do you want the takeaway to be from this conversation? Well, I think I would really appreciate um, folks doing what they can to stay informed and to advocate on behalf of educators in whatever town, community, or city they live in. Um, for us, we've got mediation coming up um, just after the new year, and, and we'll be sharing information about that. Perfect. Jeff, thank you so much for highlighting this important issue. Great. Good luck to you. Thank I you really so hope, much. Myra, that that uh, Work to Rule works as it should, and you, you get a contract that's fairly compensating you for the critical work that you do. Your future, our future is in your hands. Thank you. Everybody else, have a great Christmas, and we look forward to talking to you on next week. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. 
we need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. For Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.